for tuning in and welcome to the fifth installation of the faculty spotlight. Adam Liang and I will be hosting you today. Um, for those of you who've been here before, you might already know this, but with the faculty spotlights, we're really just trying to help expose ourselves and anybody who's interested in, in tuning in to uh, what the lives of our professors are like outside of the classroom. Um, we're all very thankful to be at Penn uh, you know, being exposed to such highly esteemed faculty members who do amazing research, teach amazing lectures, you know, have, have interesting professional backgrounds as well. Um, but, but all too often we get caught up in our classes and don't really ask the right questions. So Adam and I have kind of taken it upon ourselves to, to get to know these professors a little bit better. Um, so again, if you've been in our podcast before, then you might recall that we've uh, in the past interviewed professors Dustin Roberts, Jordan Rady, Machine shop technician Joe Valdez uh, and Igor Bargain as well. Um, so, Adam, if you'd like to take over and introduce today's. Yeah, definitely. Want to introduce myself first to um, Adam Liang, originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and Jason's from Godley, Pennsylvania. Um, and one of the things that we've, you know, really enjoyed at Penn are kind of the hands-on learning um, classes, and one of the things that we're really excited about um, during our senior year um, in mechanical engineering is senior design. And so without further ado, we'd like to present Graham Wabazuski. He's a senior lecturer at Penn, and he also taught one of my favorite courses, uh, Mechanical Engineering 201. And he also kind of leads the meme senior design activities. And we'll get to that later on in the podcast. So Graham, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, and we're excited to get to talk to you and to get to you know, allow students to hear about you know, things that exist in your life outside of, outside of teaching at Penn. And so I guess one of the first things that we would like to talk to you about is just give us a little bit about your background, um, your hometown, you know, where you're from, what you studied in undergrad, you know, any graduate degrees that you got, and ultimately how you came to Penn. Certainly, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll maybe just start at uh, square one. So mm -hmm. um, I come from Wisconsin, mm -hmm. um, land of the Packers, which just recently the Packers had a very nail-biter of a game. Yeah. Go Pack. <laughs> um, so born in Wisconsin in a suburb of Milwaukee called uh, Greendale. Um, which is actually, and tell me if I'm taking too many tangents here, but it's a really, I think, kind of unique town uh, in the United States. It's kind of modeled after more of a European town. Mm -hmm. And it was part of like a public's work pro public works project, I believe, back in the 30s or something. So a very nice community to grow up in. Um, so born there back in the 80s. I'm getting kind of old now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, obviously grade school, middle school, high school, things of that nature. Uh, I would say I was, I was very fortunate to be in a very good school system. And I think that was part of the motivation of actually, so my, my grandparents originally settled um, where we lived. Yeah. It was a side-by-side -side house. So I actually grew up next door to my grandparents, which I think was totally awesome. And I, I think one of the motivators for coming to that community was my grandma was Scottish and the town was very familiar. It was a very nice town. Uh, I think the other thing too is they had a nice school system. So I feel very fortunate that I was raised in a very high quality school system, which not everybody yeah. uh, has access to. And my schools were very, very close uh, yeah. to like the house that I lived in. So like a couple blocks one way for grade school and middle school and a couple blocks in the other direction for high school. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I appreciated that at the time, but <laughs> uh, like the quality of the school system or the proximity um, but in retrospect, I think it was a, a real leg up in, in life. So graduated high school around like 99, 2000, if, if memory serves me correct. Yeah. And then I went to University of Wisconsin, Madison for yes, my yeah. undergraduate. 
And I actually started in the business school in accounting. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I think I did two and a half years of that. Wow. And then, uh, so yes, yeah, so I, I did that. And at, at that point in my life, I had, I'd worked in a foundry for a little bit. I had um, worked in like a dry cleaning place for a little bit, lots of like odd jobs. Um, some of them very clean, some of them very dirty. Um, and then during that period of my life, I worked a lot in banks. Um, and so I got some exposure to, you know, what is the day-to-day -day like in a business environment? And I had, you know, gained that experience of, of being in the business school. And about somewhere in between the second and third year, I was like, this just isn't for me. Yeah. Um, you know, and not to be dismissive of business schools, it just, you know, personally for me, it didn't match my expectations of mm -hmm. what I wanted to do with my life. So then I think that was like the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. And yeah. I was like, this can either turn out really well or very bad, yeah. um, especially from a monetary perspective, because yeah. I was paying for school real time. And the proposition there is like, you're going to have to, like, I had to work real time to make yeah. money to go to school. And the proposition there was like, this is going to get very financially difficult. Yeah. Um, and it did. And I racked up some money on my credit card, not the best way to kind of cover. And a, a little bit of help from my parents at some very key time points. Um, I think I was a little bit too proud to, to ask for more help. Um, yeah. But so I made that switch. And so I was trying to figure out like, what major should I major in? And I think, you know, high on my list was like computer engineering and electrical engineering and mechanical engineering, of course. Um, it, a lot of that had to do with the experiences that I had growing up. I loved taking apart things far before I learned how to put them back together, for yeah, sure. Yeah. And I still have that experience occasionally. Yeah. Um, but so ultimately, I, I, I shouldn't say settled, I think would be the wrong word. I, I went for mechanical engineering right. uh, because I really liked the physicality of it. I was really scared of electrical engineering because yeah, it, all seems so, yeah. it all seems so imaginary. I used to have a quote on my whiteboard that says, I don't like uh, electronics yeah. because they're like magic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, these days I, you know, kind of self-learn a lot more about electrical engineering concepts, not coming to be an expert, but I, I, yeah. I understand more about it. And now. you know exactly what you need to supplement yeah. your mechanical engineering. It, it, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I, I really appreciate it now. It's just, you know, having the time to dip into it. Mm. it took some time in my life to get there. Yeah. So I, I made this really tough decision, in my mind at least, to kind of really change paths dramatically. Um, and I, I think something that really influenced that as well was I was living in a house, I think there were six of us in like a townhouse, like shared university housing. And many of my housemates were engineers as well. Mm -hmm. And I constantly find myself like, just for like bedtime reading, like grabbing calculus books or my old calculus book from high school. Yeah. Just it really enjoying reading that kind of stuff, which I still enjoy to this day. Wow. Um, yeah. or, or, you know, books on material, yeah, material science books and things of that nature. And so I had a lot of different uh, types of engineers in the house ranging from like civil, mechanical, I think yeah. electrical and, uh, computer engineering, I think was kind of a uh, chemical engineering was another one. So a large lay of the land. So I, I think that helped influence, like, what do I know about these areas? And that kind of helped influence me going, going down the mechanical engineering path. Yeah. yeah so, so then I did that. I, th I think it took me maybe like another two and a half or three years, if memory serves me correct, to finish off that degree. There, there wasn't a lot of transfer over yeah. of, of credits, but I tried to push it a, a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. um, just as you know, time is money in my case, and I had to work real time to pay for school. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I so in my undergraduate 
I just had this very lucky happening upon a magazine, which I can talk about later if wow. you want, that yeah. I think really dramatically changed the course of my life wow. or maybe reinforced my, my hopeful path. Yeah. Um, and as a result of that incident and, and just some follow-up things that happened, um, I ended up doing undergraduate research for a professor mm -hmm. at Wisconsin-Madison and actually who was recently uh, kind of not no longer, but up until very recently was the chair of this department, uh, Professor Robert Carpet. And um, oh. and at the time I was like reading and watching his papers and I didn't even know he worked at Wisconsin. <laughs> I was just reading them for fun. Yeah. Like, they focused on like nanoscale friction and I was working at the bank at the time. They didn't have a lot for me to do, but it was uh, like money. Uh -huh. Every hour I was there, I was money in my pocket. They're like, just look busy. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, reading well, papers. Yeah. And, and the internet was locked down. So I would like email uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now. Yeah. Uh, I would email her, like, can you get this paper and email it to me? <laughs> and then I'd read it and then I'd be in the lunchroom, like, hey, do you know a nanometer yeah. compared to a meter and yeah. stuff, stuff like that? So, so then I, I had all that. So as a result of all that, um, I reached out to him and he was gracious enough to let me engage some undergraduate research and work with some grad students yeah. uh, or grad student in his lab who was so helpful to me. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Aaron. Um, yep. And I think I did that for a couple years as an undergraduate. I guess what would typically be like your junior and senior year, but mm -hmm. not really because my whole path was like the timing of my like path this. was very different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I was coming up on my last semester and Robin said to me, he's like, I don't know if this is good news or bad news for you, but I've accepted a position at the University of Pennsylvania. And I remember like the second day I worked in his lab, I'm like, I want to work for this guy in grad school. I, I, want, I want him to be my boss. He's an awesome person and a good scientist and a good human, which, you know, the Venn diagram doesn't always overlap on that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it does more often than not, but it does Don't, tell, don't tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, people that are highly technical, can, you know, as far as human interactions, it, it can be a struggle. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, it was, I, was like, ah, I, I remember talking to like my mom and my dad, and I was like, I, I want to parlay this into graduate school. And so, it just happened at the right time. And he said, you know, look around. And I, like, in the back of my head, I'm like, I know I want it. Wherever you're going, I'm going to go. Yeah. Um, and so it had a big draw for me just to keep that boss. I liked what he was working on. Um, I liked his management style. Yeah. Um, and so he moved out here and he actually helped uh, move my girlfriend at the time, wife now, yeah. um, and a couple other grad students that he currently had. So I was kind of transitioning uh, undergrad to grad student. He helped move us out here from Wisconsin. Uh, rented us a U-Haul van, yeah. and we moved four individuals over here um, from December 31st to January 1st of 2007. I remember the date. Wow. Um, yeah, and came out here. Um, I think for me, I did a PhD, and I think the whole process was about six years. With, yeah. uh, it was like a nanotech focus, and there's kind of different phases of it, different experiences I had there. And then there was this opportunity for a lecture position uh, at the time. Like, yeah. like as soon as I finished my PhD, I think I defended in July in the position. I think the position, oh, we usually typically start in August. So I, I think yeah. basically I defended and then the next week I was preparing for uh, courses, which was kind of like my undergrad grad school transition where it was yeah. like, I'm taking my last final and it was really late in December, it was like the 20th or something. Yeah. Actually, it was like really late, it was like just before Christmas. Pack up a research lab or help pack up a research lab, pack up your life, move out to Philly, and that is crazy. Uh, like 14 days later, you're, or maybe 
14 to 20 days later, um, you're in a, a graduate level course. Yeah. So it's just a very quick life transition. Same thing with the transition to this job. Wow. You, you, you really don't need to have your life planned to the T. You know, it's like uh, there's so many Penn students who, who and I, I was a victim to this, and I'm sure Jason's experienced this too, like planning everything. Like I want to have a five-year timeline. I want to have a 10-year timeline. And your path has made it seem like you you just sat there and you're like, I'm okay with this. I want to do it. Well, I think that's amazing. Well, and definitely, you and know, you probably evaluated the risks and, and the cost of benefits, but yeah. And I actually, I think I still yeah. have a book up on my shelf somewhere here, and it's yeah. like, like alternative paths after a PhD. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. you kind of get stuck in this like environment of feedback in academia, where yeah. it's like if you don't become a professor or a lecturer or something like that, like yeah. you fail somehow. At least that that's the impression I had yeah. when I was at that time point in my life. And I, I just didn't really buy into that. I think there's really fun and interesting things happening in industry. There's tons of bright people out there. Yeah. And there's tons of opportunities. <clears throat> it doesn't always feel like it, especially the way the job market and yeah. uh, applying to jobs treats you. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting things out there, whether it be academia or industry. So, you know, I was very prepared for my life to go many different ways. That being said, I think I, I've really been like a school-minded person. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember this like back in first or second grade, one of those early memories. And I was, I, was, I came back from school and I was like crying. I got like, an A minus on something. Oh, yeah. And don't worry, I got plenty of C's. At, at uh, <laughs> but, like later on, but um I had gotten like an A minus and my mom was kind of calming me down and she was like, it's, it's okay, honey, like you, you tried hard. And, and then I remember like in a similar, around that same conversation, she's like, I think you're going to be in school for the rest of your life. You just, you really enjoy it. And that's, you know, what kind of checks the boxes for you. And I would say to a large measure it does. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't say, you know, I, my grand plan in life um, was, you know, really, it wasn't so much what is the thing, just, mm -hmm. I want my work day to be interesting. Yeah. That's how I feel good about myself. And that's how I feel valued. Yeah, I don't want it to ever feel like work. Yeah, no, and there's definitely, I mean, all work, no matter how awesome it is. <laughs> there's <laughs> points where it's like, no, this is work. It is kind of like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But like stuff like this, where I get to talk with students like you, yeah. or you yeah. know, even if we're not yeah. just having a conversation about my life, which almost seems strange to me because I, I don't feel as that interesting. Uh -huh. uh, but, you know, when I learn about your lives or we're solving technical issues together, like that just gives me such immense joy. I, my favorite part of this whole job is like the kind of one-on-one -on -one or one-on-a-couple type of situations. I feel like that's where a significant amount yeah. of learning happens. So, yeah, well, there's, there's, I guess, a lot to unpack there, but <laughs> Sorry, I, no, 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 it's great, like, we, I, I don't know why you say it's weird to talk about your life, like, we came for that reason, that's true, yeah. that reason. so, <laughs> so thank you for sharing all that, um, but, but I think it's great, you know, like Adam said, for Penn students to hear that a faculty member who, you know, we come in as freshmen, I came in undecided, I was between, it's actually some of the same majors as you, between different branches of engineering, um, we all come in unsure what our plan is going to be, and we think, let me try and get up there. You know, like I have to figure out what my life is. I got to decide on a major by like, you know, fall of my sophomore year or whatever. Um, and then we look at the faculty members like you and think like they haven't figured out, you know, like wh why are they so much better than we are? Like, how can we get to that point? Yeah. But it's great to hear that that really was not your, you weren't just born knowing I'm going to be a mechanical like, <laughs> you know, like, like it was very much the opposite. Accounting. <laughs> it's awesome. The yeah, fact that you were, you were in a similar boat as we were and you had like, 
several twists and turns along the way before you got to this point, you know, kind of that trial and error to realize this is what you love to do. And at some point, it's not even about what it is you want to do, like planning it in advance, picking the one thing, but really just like making sure whatever it is you're doing, you're enjoying it. You know, absolutely. So, so it's great to hear that. And I hope that any listeners will kind of take that as a message away from this that you don't need to plan everything out. If anything, it's better if you don't, so you can kind of like try it out, see what you like, and see what you don't. Um, so that's just one, one, you know. Can, can I just thought. add something to that? Yeah, like a life plan is not a bad thing. Um, and yeah. I, I certainly have, you know, long term goals and more short term goals. But I also think you, you said, like, oh, we assume people have everything figured out. And it, it took me quite a while. I think it was like around the age of like 25 to 30 yeah. where I, I realized nobody has anything figured yeah. out and those that do are pretty much fake or there might be some but yeah you know yeah. our parents don't have life figured out yeah. at the age of 40 50 60 70 80 whatever they might be um I think humanity is just kind of winging it it's, it's actually a beautiful thing so yeah <laughs> so so for, for that matter you know imposter syndrome anybody listening especially Penn students it's very big here but nobody knows anybody else has it <laughs> it's a very big thing to think everybody else has it figured out but like Graham said you know people who are grown up like my my grandma who's 97 is still figuring some things out you know mm -hmm. um so so to think that you're the only one who's behind and you know have stressed your life because of that you get in a negative loop you know, is, is really silly because everybody's in this together. We're all kind of finding our own paths. And in some cases, those intersect. Things are very complicated, you know, but but we're all kind of navigating that path together is the important thing. Um, and then kind of a pivot to something else you talked about um, that, that you know, really what, what you love and you said to quote you, it gives you immense joy to work through problems with students. Um, something that we are curious to hear about is more about your teaching. So like you said earlier that you know, one of the very first things you said in kind of introducing yourself was that you were really thankful to grow up in an area with a really strong education system. Yeah. And you also said kind of in your follow-up about, you know, how you got from there to here, that I think you named job someone named Aaron who helped you along the way. Yeah. Right. Robert Carpet. Like, like the fact that you're acknowledging <clears throat> all these people who, who helped you get where you are, you know, to me, I see that and think, so maybe he's now trying to give back. You know, and I, I TA'd a class, you know, Adam and I both really love, you know, mentoring and giving back to people because we've been provided a lot. We're very fortunate. So I'm curious for you if, if you kind of view your own interest in teaching as, as giving back because you've been fortunate enough to be taught by people or, you know, if there's some other kind of motivation, just in general, can you speak to some of the, the reasons that you love to teach so much and what, what it brings you and what you feel you get to see in the students yeah certainly and i, I mean there's so many directions i can go with this because there's so many facets <laughs> yeah, but i'll yeah. try to keep a high level i i tend to go on and on but um you know the, the thing that really i would say a huge motivator for me um early in my teaching career was i had a litany of awesome professors mm -hmm. and instructors in my history of education um, and I'd also had some really bad ones, you know, those that don't care, those that don't contribute. And I think, you know, there's that yin yang of it. And really early on my teaching career, it was like, can I do my students better than some of those experiences that I had? And can I pull and maybe channel some of that energy and that enthusiasm and just some of that love of life that those that I really admired had? And, you know, I don't know if I ever approached it from the perspective of so much giving back in a way, but it was more like, can I provide them 
with content and education that they deserve. You know, from the perspective of a student, like they're trying really hard. Can, can I try as hard on my end uh, to provide them with content and information and, you know, to the degree possible interactions? That two are, way street. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I know early on at UPenn, and, and I had had some experiences like TA, and then I kind of, there's in my graduate school days, there was a course that I kind of ended up going beyond TA and kind of just taking it over at some point. Um, and, you know, so I had started to understand what the center point of a UPenn student was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I don't think it's just unique to UPenn students, but I do find the students here to be very invested, mm -hmm. um, you know, very smart, whatever that means. I think smart really just means work hard uh, to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the, the best measure of it. Um, and it's just like, can I reflect that back and, and give them what mm -hmm. they deserve? Right. Um, and also not do all the <laughs> ineffective and unfun, or maybe unfun is the wrong word, but like ineffective and, and just <laughs> lackadaisical things that I yeah. had experienced at time points mm -hmm. in, in my education. So pulling the good from the good and yeah. trying not to do the the ineffective bad things that I had yeah. experienced. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense that you're optimizing for that. And, yeah. um, you know, as, as seniors in senior design, um, I'd love to shift the conversation to see how yeah. you're kind of bringing those elements of, of optimizing for, for the good and really enriching, um, you know, the, the student experience um, and making them really challenged. Um, so, you know, with senior design, what are kind of like, if you could name like the two or three things that you're really trying to focus on or or change from previous years, um, you know, with with this this year's new design process, whether it's process or or the way that you're helping students, you know, think about the picture, the brainstorm, or, or the implementation. We'd love to hear kind of things that you're trying to change or, or move towards this this year. Absolutely, and, and you know, there's things that are more near term that yeah. are more COVID impacted. Yeah. So, for example, the current cohort of seniors, mm -hmm. they've had a big gap in those interpersonal interactions. Mm -hmm. So one of my focuses this year, um, and tying it into other things that are productive, yeah. um, is getting the students to kind of mix and meet with each mm -hmm. other yeah. um, in a way that they might actually do. I, one thing I've noticed in senior design is that like persons <laughs> kind of combine with like persons, yeah. you know, whether it be gender, ethnicity, worldview, and things like that, which mm -hmm. is, isn't always great for the design process, right? Yeah. I have one myopic team brain. Exactly. Um, so one of my goals this year is to get them intermixed a bit more and learn about each other. And I think in the process, respect each other, uh, respect similarities and respect uh, differences. So that's something very near term. Uh, something that's really enabling that is the class size this year is actually just for whatever series of reasons is yeah. one of the smaller cohorts. I think our, our senior plug that has come through the university just was a bit smaller than the classes in front and behind them. And so that opens up the opportunity to use an active learning classroom, which is uh, what I've never had before for the lecture yeah. portion of the class. So it's not so much lectures now, it's yeah. more meetings, which is heavily my preference. And when I say meetings, you know, there's, we're doing activities where it's like, you know, let's do, uh, so there's this analysis called SWOT analysis. Let's mm -hmm. perform SWOT analysis, yeah. uh, basically strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, things yeah. that you might experience in industry. Yeah. Uh, so we can do those kinds of things now. Yeah. So that's that's more of like a, a near-term thing, something that I've been working on long-term. And I feel like I was off the mark in my early days with a senior design, but you know, it's a learning process, mm -hmm. um, is, you know, I presented a very clean version of like 
what the design process looks like. And right. the design process is not clean. Yeah. Um, there's this really nice website that I think a gentleman who originally started it called uh, the Design Squiggle. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you seen, yeah, have you seen it's the same way with your career trajectory? Yeah, really. Hopefully, I want mine to be like that. I was going to say, I want to go through analogous to your, your path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then like, <laughs> over the summer, I had a leadership and I was constantly signing apart. And I try to like lay out a plan at the beginning. My mentor is like, this is not possible. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you go like, here and you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna talk to people and they're gonna tell you to change course. <laughs> you're gonna make a design, you're gonna see it's not gonna be yeah. manufacturable. Like there's so many twists and turns in the design yeah. process yeah. and in life and, and everything really, that it's not as much about how well you make a plan, it's well uh, about how well you you know accept advice and how well you adapt to you know things out of your control. But also taking it as so, a grain of salt too. Like when you know that you know you're right or when you know that you're passionate about something, like whether it's a career path or whether it's like the technical challenge and you know that you're gonna put yourself to it and do it well because you're compassionate, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can take it as a grain of salt too. Yeah. And to that point about I guess taking things with a grain of salt and trying to keep your options open a little bit, um, I, I was really interested to hear you talk about how senior design is is prioritizing trying to you know intermix people who might not naturally work together and now in 2021 that's especially critical because like speaking from my own perspective i lived at home for, for a full <laughs> year in COVID, and way too often like i mean i literally saw the same three people every day and they were my parents and brethren so you know sometimes being in isolation um and even if you hop on zoom calls it's limited the amount of people who you're able to reach out you know schedule a zoom call with um you can get a little bit more like in your own segments of the population and not really as much branch out and expose yourselves to different perspectives, yeah. um, which which is one of the risks of COVID other than obviously mechanical engineering, we all miss the in-person aspects of engineering, but the in-person aspects of communication, you know, like being able to come in and have conversations like this, or like when yeah. you walk to class and run into someone and chat for 10 minutes about what they're doing, like those kinds of impromptu things are really what help us keep an open mind. Um, and it's great to hear you say that from someone in your position who actually is able to take tangible action that affects yeah. students, that that's a priority on that level as well. Trying yeah. to you know, help people keep an open mind and work with other people who they might not necessarily agree on everything with, but then having those disagreements and growing from them and learning new things from that. You know, there's so many aspects of learning process, and this is certainly one of the key ones. It's the squiggle again, right? Just it's, the, it's, the, it's the randomness. Yeah. You know, and I, yeah. If you had asked me three years ago, and I was, I was having this internal conversation with myself and probably with my wife at times just like you know what is the trajectory of mm -hmm. like a, a lecture in that type of career you know mm -hmm. is there stability in that job what will that job look like in 10 20 years so this, yeah. you know this is the aspect of where you're planning and you're thinking about these things and then also accepting the randomness and the opportunities that come in life yeah um but you know three four years ago if you had asked me like what i thought about the situation i would say you know i just have to be nimble i don't know if a position like mine will exist in the future and there may even be more positions like that less of the more research oriented ones or there may be this specialization and bifurcation which is currently happening anyways mm -hmm. uh where more people are doing research and people are doing the teaching um but one of the comments i would have made is i think most university classes will trend towards online content delivery yeah um, like you know in on the order of one to two decades um, you know, because that's like, it, you know, we're in a little different situation, like Zoom didn't exist in the way it did like two, three years ago. Um, having video conferences was still, it wasn't niche, but it was the activation barrier was high. So if you had asked me like three, four years ago, I would say, oh, we're probably trending towards an online <laughs> delivery model. 
I was completely wrong. I was completely. It's there's so much of that squiggle of that randomness yeah. that enriches our lives. I think, I think I now understand that university life and teaching and learning yeah. is more than just the content, right? The technical content. Right. When I'm thinking about it from an engineering perspective, and there is so much based on the human interaction mm -hmm. and the randomness of interactions that you have right. off the cuff. Which, my gosh, in the last month, I have had more you know like un, non-premeditated i had more interactions that yielded good things mm -hmm. in just this month than they had in the life and they were scheduled coffee chats yeah. scheduled zoom meeting yeah yeah hey oh hey that's you yeah i see you in 3d let's have lunch yeah and we talk about interesting things and we you yeah. know i learn about something they yeah. maybe learn about something and you know i think all of that has been done in mm -hmm. less units of time yeah. than all of the scheduled you know you can book me when to meet zoomified whatever yeah. uh, meetings that i have set up in the last year and a half and it's there's just there's something about being in 3d the randomness of the interactions that just really helps forward ideas learning and things of that nature so yeah. i completely uh changed course on my comments from three to four yeah. years ago that i never made to anybody but yeah. <laughs> admitting when you need to change your thought process <laughs> so oh well so yeah, it looks like we're um, we're actually out of time now. Are we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I I think I think you know to the audience out there, we we've learned a lot of things today that that, that our life is going to be like a squiggly path, and you know you can even internalize that and, and take it up to senior design. You know, there's going to be a lot of freshmen listening to this and sophomores, and there's a lot of courses out there that can help out with if you're undecided. Engineering 101 is a great course to take, yeah. um, as well as you know even taking Mean 101 or BE 101 courses that are introducing you to that specific discipline and beyond that just scheduling conversations with professors scheduling conversations with, with a grant if you want to learn more about manufacturing and design as, as well as anything else within mechanical engineering professors are always very open to, to having discussions with you um, so thank you guys so much for, for tuning in today um, we'll be interviewing more uh, professors and faculty even beyond outside of the mechanical engineering um, discipline um, this year, and uh, it's it's our final year, me and Jason's final year, so we won't be here next year. But um, you know, it's 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 been really good, and we're gonna keep it keep it going for the rest of the year. And say hello to Graham as you as you're walking around the hall, since we are back in person. Um, thank you, everyone, and we're yeah. signing out now. Thank you all for tuning in. Let's squiggle together. Yeah, let's squiggle together. Yes, it's been a pleasure being back in person. This is actually our first ever in person happening, probably first of many, hopefully. Um, speaking for myself and Adam, we certainly enjoyed talking to you, Graham. Thank yeah. you so much for your time. I always love talking with yeah. you, Jess. You're fun. <laughs> and I hope that anybody tuning in enjoyed learning more about Graham, hearing more about how we all view teaching, learning, squiggles, all kinds <laughs> of things. Um, so until next time, thank you Signing for tuning up. in. Bye.